1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Thanks, Jacinta. And that's on page 1145 in this Bible and 807 in the other Bible. <coughs> All right, so we're starting from chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness holiness and redemption therefore as it is written let him who boasts boast in the Lord when I came to you brothers I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I, while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, and with much trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and pers persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Let's bow in prayer. Um, Father, thank you so much for your word. And we do pray now that uh, you'd help us to uh, focus our minds, that you would soften our hearts, that uh, we would uh, see the great wisdom that there is in Christ Jesus, that we would be people who live wisely. And we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, there was an old car bumper sticker that uh, said simply, I'd rather be sailing. Anyone remember that one? And uh, it's 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 good bumper sticker because uh, sailing is a great escape from the mundane things of life. But it's also a lot like, a lot like life as well. Uh, sometimes in sailing the conditions are just perfect, uh, the water's smooth, the breeze is just right, if you tack wisely 
steer in the right direction. It's absolutely fantastic. And sometimes life is like that, isn't it? Uh, There are times when everything is going along very well, that you're sailing in life beautifully, family's going great, uh, the, uh, your health is good, your income exceeds your expenses and it's terrific so long as you're heading in the right direction. But uh, sometimes life can be like sailing through a storm with uh, blinding rain, wind ripping the sails, waves crashing over the deck and that's when you need real skill and wisdom. Life can be like that. Uh, There are times when we need great wisdom to negotiate the difficulties of life just so that we can arrive at our direction, in in our destination in one piece. We all need wisdom, don't we? But what does it mean to be truly wise? What does wisdom actually mean? What is wisdom? I, I think in one sense we could define wisdom as being uh, uh, skill in living well, the, the right application of knowledge so as to achieve desirable outcomes. As Christians, we might refine that uh, to say that uh, wisdom is uh, skill in living uh, God's way to achieve right outcomes that please God. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. In fact, uh, the Bible contains a number of books which collectively we call the wisdom literature. Uh, Can anyone guess as to what books you might want to include in the wisdom literature? Um, Lachlan? Yeah, book of... If you thought Proverbs, you would be absolutely spot on. Uh, Any other thoughts as to what might be... Song of Song, Song of Songs, yes, or Song of Solomon's, that's uh, wisdom literature. Any other thoughts? Lamentations is wisdom literature, yeah. Ecclesiastes is, uh, is uh, wisdom literature as well. Any that I've missed out on? Of course, um, Job. And didn't he go through some rough storms in life? Uh, now, over the coming weeks, um, we're going to be dipping into uh, various books of the Bible including uh, books from the wisdom literature and others. As we think about this whole topic of wisdom, of God's wisdom, and how we can be applying God's wisdom in some important areas of life as we sail through the uh, calm waters and the storms of life. What I want us to do today, though, is to, by introduction, Uh, to the series is to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, verses 18 to chapter 2 verse 5 and as we do this what we're going to see is that in one very important sense that we could say that the the whole of the Bible is actually about wisdom. Now it's uh, it's no surprise to us that the topic of wisdom should come up uh, in 1 Corinthians because uh, the, uh, it was written to people who were, were Greeks. Uh, Corinth is a, is a Greek city and ancient Greeks, they loved to think about wisdom, didn't they? They loved wisdom. Um, the word philosophy uh, comes from two Greek words which means to love wisdom, uh, philosophos, 
to love wisdom. And this was the world of the great philosophers. The Greeks produced Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, people who are familiar names to us now in terms of philosophy. The Greeks prided themselves on wisdom. It was their national sport. In fact, there's a um, Monty Python skit. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> it's a soccer, a football match between the Greek philosophers and the German philosophers. Go home and YouTube it. That's got you thinking. It was their national sport. And it was into this world, the, the Greek world, that uh, the Apostle Paul had, uh, earlier on in uh, Acts chapter 18, had, uh, had gone to the city of Corinth and had uh, proclaimed Christ. Now, when he went to Corinth, uh, first of all, he did as he normally would, he went to the synagogue, so that he preached Christ, firstly, to the Jews, the Jewish diaspora, uh, living in Corinth. And then he preached to the Greeks. The result of this was that there were some who believed the gospel and, and a small church was born. But not everyone was impressed. We can read more about that in, Luke, in Acts chapter 18. But have a look at what Paul says here in uh, chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, uh, looking at verse 18 and following, uh, he says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I'll frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks, well, they look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So, uh, what did people think about the gospel? Uh, what did the Jews think about the gospel? Well, for the Jews, it was a uh, it says there it was it was a stumbling block. Uh, the actual word there is the word which we get scandal from. It it was it was a scandal. Uh, the idea of someone dying on the cross, well, to die on a, on a cross uh, in, uh, in Jewish thought, well, that was a curse. Uh, that was, the, the person was cursed by God. It was, that was a shameful thing. And for the Greeks, well, the cross of Jesus, that was, uh, that was foolishness. I mean, they had their incredibly sophisticated philosophies, and so when Paul turns up preaching the gospel, we well, can imagine the Greeks having a good belly laugh to themselves, can't you? you, know, you know, saying, Paul's saying that wisdom equals this Jewish carpenter who was crucified on a cross 
with some crazy idea that he came back to life after that. That's not wisdom. That's, that's ridiculous. That's, that's foolishness to the Greek mind. And that is precisely Paul's point. Now, these days, uh, philosophy is not admired like it was in the ancient world. Do you agree on that? I mean, I, I think that... Um, it's not, I don't necessarily like the fact that it's not admired as much as it was in the ancient world. I think that a little bit of reflective and deeper thinking wouldn't go too far astray in our society. But we tend to admire technology. That's what we admire. And aren't we impressive? Aren't we great? We can send people to the moon and back. We may even be able to send people to Mars. Not sure if we can get them back or not. That remains to be seen. Uh, we, can, uh, we, we do great things with science and technology. We can cure complex diseases and we can build great structures. I, I used to be impressed by a 3.2-kilometre Maclay Valley Bridge um, just up the road from here. Second longest bridge in Australia, I think, 3.2. Until last week when I heard that the Chinese has just opened up a 55-kilometre bridge over water. <laughs> over water. But we humans, we can do amazing things. And yet despite our greatness, we have failed to stamp out corruption. We have failed to stop greed. We have failed to cure the issue of selfishness. In fact, the very things which we apply our great knowledge and technology to, to in invent things which are for the good... These things end up being used for evil. For there is one problem which the collective wisdom of all humanity has never solved. And that is the problem of our sin. The truth is that as a race that we have declared our independence from God. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. The first sin. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we're told that when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, when she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, what did she do? She ate it in rebellion against what God had said. She ate it. But do you know what else that she saw? Genesis 3, verse 6 tells us that when she saw that the fruit of the tree, she saw that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom. And that's why she ate. Now, it changed the world. Because the wisdom that she gained was the wisdom that says you can live your life well without reference to God, in disobedience to God. And that's the kind of wisdom which as we know throughout the Bible, has caused the difficulties that we have in life and ends up with the wrath of God. How do you solve that problem? Now, if you were a philosopher and you were given the task of uh, solving the problem of sin, what would you come up with? Uh, you'd think through complex systems uh, whereby you could improve human behaviour. Uh, to try to improve human morality. 
Uh, and, so, and there's this view that humans, we're always improving, we're always getting better. What are they, is it called entropy? Is that what they call it? As opposed to atrophy? Atrophy meaning that we're actually getting worse all the time? Or you would uh, think up a, uh, a, a religion uh, in order for us to make human beings somehow acceptable to God by doing certain things, by doing good things and so on. These are the kinds of things which we might dream up if we were a philosopher using human William, human wisdom. But how about the idea of God's son dying on a cross to pay for sin? We'd never dream that one up, would we? We'd never think of that. Because with all of our wisdom and with all of our strength, we are actually incapable of knowing God. And so God strips us of our pride by doing something which to us seems weak and foolish. Which, by the way, in verse 15 uh, shows that God's foolishness is actually wiser than our wisdom and that God's wisdom, no, God's weakness is actually stronger than all of our strength. He does that which we could never do. And you and I, as God's people, we're kind of living proof of that, don't you reckon? Um, in verses 26 to 31, Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians that there's nothing especially flash about them as people. Have a look at verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you, says Paul, were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now, imagine that in order to become a Christian, in order to know God, that it was a requirement that you had to be above average, that you had to be uh, more intelligent, you had to be especially wise or especially uh, powerful in terms of your status in life to be able to get to know God. Can you imagine that? Just take a look around. I mean, we're a mixture of people here, aren't we? Um, our education, our status, how much money we do or don't have in the bank, it's actually got nothing to do with it, has it? Uh, we're a mixture of people, different types of people. Uh, in fact, God, we're told here, chooses uh, those who are considered to be weak, those who are considered to be foolish, in the eyes of the world so as to shame the wise and to shame the powerful. Now, I was thinking about this the other day <clears throat> and I reckon that I can count at least three of my friends who, before they were Christians, were uh, poor because of their <clears throat> family backgrounds and their racial background, in one case. They were poor and 
specifically that they did not know how to read or write. I'm talking about grown men. Uh, Each of them were illiterate. Now, in our society, it's hard for most of us here to imagine what that would be like and just how alienating it would be to be trying to do, do life as an adult in Australia when you can't even read the road signs. Imagine that. Not because you're blind, but because you're uneducated. Very alienating and very easy for, uh, to, to have a very, for people to think poorly of you and for you to have a low estimation of yourself as well. But each of these three men, God chose them to know him. They each, uh, at different times and in different places and through different people, heard the good news about Jesus, heard the gospel and became Christians. And each of them have told me individually that one of the things that they did after becoming Christians after a while is that they each went went down to their local TAFEs and enrolled uh, in a course to learn how to read and write. And they knew that they had to do that because they wanted to grow as Christians and a key part of growing as a Christian is actually being able to read your Bible. So these guys learned how to read so that they can grow as Christians by reading their Bibles. Uh, Two of them, I used to study the Bible with them in a small group uh, every Wednesday night. And they were farmers. One was a farmer, one was a farm hand uh, in a very poor uh, area. It was poor because the land was not very good farming land. It was very, very rocky uh, farming land. And so these guys were poor. Uh, We had um, Bible studies that were running in town and the people in those Bible studies were far more literate. Uh, Some had university degrees. Uh, They preferred studies that were um, simple and practical. But these guys out in the poor area, they wouldn't have a bar of that. They wanted to drill deep into God's word. They preferred the more complex, more difficult Bible studies. And they'd say, well, I've gone to the trouble of learning how to read. I really want to use that. (laughs) And uh, it was amazing uh, to see the... uh, Uh, the depth of knowledge. Uh, One of them became an elder in the church and the third guy who wasn't part of the Bible study group that I was in, he became a pastor of a church. Now, none of them would boast and say how wise they were or how strong and influential they were uh, in becoming Christians. Uh, They would actually say, no, uh, I was hopeless I didn't have a chance. And they're just thankful to God that God chose them and now they tell others who are supposedly wiser and more influential and powerful in the world about how they can get to know God through Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul modelled this same uh, 
attitude in terms of his own personal ministry. Uh, Have a look at chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 5. Because he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message was, and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that, this is the purpose, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. If you notice that sometimes as Christians that we try to impress others by talking about the impressive things about ourselves and our churches, maybe... You know, we might want to talk about how impressive a church is because of how big it is and how many people come to it, or the uh, the success of the people that are part of the church, or the eloquent speakers in some churches. And there's nothing wrong with those things. They might be very good things, but to po- to boast about our greatness, and then in the next breath to boast about the cross of Christ. It seems a little bit inconsistent, doesn't it? It's nothing, it's the foolishness of the cross. Now, Paul here says that when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence and superior wisdom. That's not because he was not competent. Paul was not incompetent in any way. Paul was, in fact, highly educated, top of his class. He sat under a great teacher by the name of Gamaliel, he was educated, he was articulated, He'd, he had lived in the Greek world. He's a Saul of Tarsus. And we know from the profound letters he wrote, like Romans, just how intelligent and how informed this man was. Paul could have spoken in such a way so as to impress and so as to charm the people of Corinth. But he chose not to. In verse 2, he says, I resolved. I made a conscious decision of my mind and of my will. I resolved when I came to Corinth to know nothing except this foolish message of Christ crucified. And in verse 3, he didn't come in a display of worldly power. He didn't come with an entourage and with marketing and, with, and to, to show how great he is. And Paul knew that uh, what happens to you when you preach the gospel uh, in his missionary journey uh, prior to getting to Corinth, uh, he had been attacked for preaching the gospel. He'd been beaten. He'd been thrown into prison in Philippi for preaching the gospel. And in fact, we know in Acts chapter 18 that he was abused in Corinth itself for preaching the gospel. And so when he came to Corinth, he didn't come thinking how great... No, he came in fear and trembling. He knew what the consequences of preaching Christ is. But he came in weakness, he came in fear, he came in trembling... Because he didn't want them to put their faith in human wisdom or in human greatness or in human impressiveness, but rather 
that their faith would be placed firmly in Christ and him crucified. Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, as we look at our world through the lens of Christ crucified, we actually become truly wise. Because in the confusion and the storms of life, it is the gospel of Jesus which actually gives us the right understanding that we would understand and diagnose our world and our own lives rightly so. That we would understand that we're actually living in a fallen world and that what we need is righteousness. That is to be in a right relationship with our Creator. That what we need is holiness. To be able to live not our way, but rather the way which our Creator has intended for us. To live differently to the world. And that what we need is redemption. That a payment should be made to pay the penalty for our sin. Verse 30. Verse 30, Paul says, Therefore, uh, uh, verse 30, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Now, the problem is, that we are so easily tempted by worldly wisdom. And by that I mean, well, look, there is, a, of course, a type of worldly wisdom that is right, uh, that, uh, God, and which we Christians ought to follow and embrace. Um, and that's because God showers wisdom on all kinds of people, Christians and non-Christian people. There are non-Christian people that have got uh, knowledge of their particular expertise that can help us to be wise and indeed it's foolish not to follow sometimes. We're not talking about that kind of worldly wisdom. Uh, we're talking about the worldly wisdom which indulges our sin. The worldly wisdom which teaches that life would be so much better for you uh, if you lived life not God's way. If you forget about God and just follow the, the cravings and the desires of your own heart. Now, there are two ways we can go. There are two different paths. There are two different kinds of wisdom. And there are significant areas of life which we're going to be looking at over the next six or seven weeks from Proverbs, from Ecclesiastes, from Job and from other parts of the Bible. Uh, in fact, if you wanted to read ahead for next week, I'd recommend reading through Proverbs chapters 1 through to 4. These are important parts of the Bible because uh, we are tempted by worldly wisdom uh, in areas such as our relationships, uh, such as our pleasures, our possessions our work, our family and even 
our sufferings. Areas where in the smooth waters of life, as much as in the rough seas of life, we need to know our destination. We need to know the dangers so that we might steer a steady course. These are the issues we're going to be looking at over that period of time. We need wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom which comes from knowing God through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your wisdom that you have solved the problem of humanity through that which looks foolish and weak to us. So that in that, we can see that your foolishness is greater than our wisdom, that your weakness is greater than our strength. Father, that we can be stripped of our pride and uh, learn to trust in you, trust in your son Jesus. Father, we pray that as we uh, consider the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, that we would become truly wise people and enable us, especially as we look at this topic over coming weeks, to be those who understand the difference between the way of the world and your wisdom, that we would be people who live our lives uh, in such a way that it brings honour to you. Help us to be truly wise, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.